Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. Okay, designers, we are going to go there today. We are going to talk all about imposter syndrome, the fact that it's real, the fact that it's nothing to be ashamed about, and the fact that it's totally manageable. So let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And actually, I'm really glad you're here today to listen to this critically important conversation about imposter syndrome. It's a topic that is overshadowing the conversations I'm having with designers over the past weeks, months, and up to a year now. And it's something I want to address so that we can all work on our own imposter syndrome issues and move beyond them so that we can be as successful as we want to be and not be worrying about feeling like an imposter. But before I get started, I do want to remind everyone, I am still offering a free 20-minute call with me if you will rate and review the podcast. I have gotten such great conversations started with designers, and frankly, they don't end with those calls, by the way. We chit-chat back and forth. We share highs and lows and questions along the way. So if you want other designers to hear this important content, the best way to do it is to rate and review the show. All you have to do is go onto the platform you're listening to, rate, review the show, take a screenshot of it, and email it to me. Now, if you're listening to these podcasts from my website, unfortunately, there isn't an area where you can do it through that platform. You have to go out to either Spotify or iTunes or whatever platform you choose. So again, I encourage you to take me up on this offer. Take advantage of my time. I'm happy to offer it to each of you. And it also helps the podcast get elevated in the stats so that other designers can hear the information shared specifically about renovation management. So, okay, let's jump in to imposter syndrome. Now, again, if you've listened to me for a while, you know I don't talk about topics that I haven't experienced. And I can promise you, I have experienced extreme imposter syndrome throughout my career. And frankly, it doesn't always go away. It's just I've learned how to manage it better so that it doesn't take hold of my confidence and really drag me down. And that's what I want for each of you today. So a quick backstory on me. I have literally done nothing else in my career other than interior design. My first job in the business was in high school, and I worked part-time for a local firm in my hometown. And little did I know at the time that the woman I was working for was truly ahead of her time in my industry. Just, I didn't know that. Obviously, hindsight is 2020. But then I went on to New York City, the mecca for our industry. And for those of you in other big cities, I'm sorry, it really is the mecca. And I worked for internationally known firms, like crazy time. And again, I was young, naive, and had no real understanding of how amazing the projects were that I was on. 
And of course, they were renovation management projects, but they were also decorating projects. I was in my 20s. I worked for the best of the best in the industry, and I was exposed to the best of the best in apartments in the city. And truly, any resource around the world was available to us. Now, keep in mind, this was the 90s. There was no internet. So when we were sourcing product from around the world, we were picking up a landline that was connected to a wall and we were calling, right? We were shipping containers in from all over the world in order to get products that was special and unique for our clients. Now, working for these firms back then, We were under strict orders to never discuss our work. And I mean never, really, like don't discuss the clients, don't discuss the work you're doing, your resources you're using, and not because it was cutthroat and the other designers down the street would hear, but it was just a part of the service that we offered, right? It was just full on privacy. Our clients were in the newspapers. I still see some of my clients on news programs and I think, oh my gosh, I did his townhouse a million years ago. Wow, he looks great. You know, that was the kind of work that was quote normal for me. Now, again, I was really young and trust me, I loved every moment of it, but I definitely did not take the time to really soak it in. And I still think about some of the projects that were so crazy and wonder, did I really do that? But think about it, being in your 20s, working for internationally known firms, working with highly public figures, of course I suffered tremendously from imposter syndrome, right? I would be standing in my client's living room next to her Monet ballerina thinking, oh my God, I could touch that. Wait, seriously, like I could reach out and touch it. And okay, I'm going to fess up. I did touch it, right? Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to touch it? But that was the level of design and the kind of clients we were working in. Of course, I felt like, how the hell do I deserve to be here? Why me? Why could I be the one that's able to work on this level? Why would my boss have picked me? I know damn well there were dozens of girls with my same qualifications that had applied for the job. So why'd she pick me? And that takes over, that seeps into your everyday, oh my gosh, why me? Oh my gosh, I'm going to screw up. And if I screw up, those dozen girls are right there behind me waiting for my job. And trust me, there will be people in the firm that would remind low-level designers like me, like, hey, don't pull your A game and you're out the door. And yes, those conversations were made and they were not in jest. So, of course, I felt like I shouldn't have been there. Of course, I felt like I didn't deserve whatever role I was in that process. But obviously, someone else thought I did. And that was the women who hired me. Of course, they had that dozen other resumes to choose from, and they chose me. But I never thought about it from that angle. I just thought, why me? And, oh, my God, I'm going to screw up, and I'm going to lose this really important job. So those were my New York days. And yes, while they were some of the most amazing and and almost hard to believe, they were also some of my deepest imposter syndrome moments. And frankly, that term didn't exist in the 90s. So once I started hearing, I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. Yep, yep. Look at me in the 20s. I look back at pictures. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm wondering why me in that photo. But I didn't let it stop me from rising through the ranks in these firms. And then 
because of circumstances outside of my control, and maybe we'll get into it in another podcast, I went out on my own at age 29. Now, don't get me wrong. I always wanted to have my own firm, but I certainly didn't plan for it at 29, and I certainly didn't plan for it back in Delaware. My goal, my anticipation of my career was going to be to stay in New York. And again, we'll get into it at another time, but that didn't work out. So at 29, I found myself back in my home state, single, starting my own firm, and anticipating to be able to work on the same level I'd been working in New York, right? So renovation management with architects and contractors and landscape designers. And guess what I met? I met a solid brick wall over and over and over again. Now, I felt an imposter syndrome as far as being the owner of a company. I was secure in my skills, but no one around me agreed. I would knock on an architect's door and they said, we'll call you when we need furniture. I would knock on a contractor's door and he's like, I'd have no idea why you're calling me. Like really simply, just flat out, no. And that was very difficult to get through because Whatever I was feeling in New York was me feeling it, not the designers around me making me feel it. But now I had my industry partners making me feel it. So, of course, it rose right back up to the top. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're right. I probably shouldn't be managing these projects. Or, oh, my gosh, they're right. I should probably stick to small projects that I can manage on my own because I no longer am a part of a team. And again, this was in the early 2000s. There weren't virtual assistants. You really had to actually pick up the phone and find someone that would help you do your drawings. And at one point, for instance, I hired a low-level architect and they moonlighted for me and did my drawings because I wasn't capable to do them on CAD anymore. I would do them by hand and that was just taking too much time. So I was drowning in the imposter syndrome when I first started out. And frankly, when I look back on it now, it was my clients that built me back up. They were the ones hiring me to run their renovation management projects alongside the contractors and the architects. And I can promise you, they weren't happy to see me. And there's still a few that I work with now who joke about our first projects and the fact that they came into it loathing the fact that there was a designer on top, a designer on the project, and dreading how I would, quote, ruin the project, only to find out that not only did I not ruin the project, I added value to the project, we finished strong, and they wanted to work with me again. Now, you may say, well, that's a great way to do it. Well, yes, but that took years, right? And we know how long renovation projects run, and so you can't get to that end point in a couple of weeks, right? It's months or years. So the imposter syndrome was always sort of that monkey on my back, reminding me that I didn't have any place on a renovation project. And don't get me wrong, decorating all day long, I was getting clients, I was making money in those areas. But I have always, as you know, loved renovation management. And I felt really skilled in this field, especially coming out of Manhattan and working at the high level I was accustomed to. But nobody would give me that chance when I moved back. It just simply wasn't done in Delaware. So the other component to this imposter syndrome at this time, which I touched on briefly, was the fact that I was young. I was just over 29 years 
old when I moved back. And so I was in my early 30s competing with other designers in my area that were 10, 20 years older than me. Now, did they have more experience than me? I'll be honest, they did not. Not only in decorating, but they had no experience in renovation management. But that was not how I was seen. And I was blessed. I do look young for my age. I looked even younger at that age. And so my, quote, industry partners would look at me like, um, no, maybe when you get some more experience. And I'd say, well, I've, I've been working for a decade in New York. And how is this possible that I don't have enough experience to work in Delaware? And frankly, to those of you who don't work in the cities, running a renovation project in an apartment building is 10 times harder than running one in a standalone home, right? The minute I got out of New York, I was like, damn, having a trunk is insanely awesome, right? You're not hefting things. You're not trying to shove things into taxi cabs. You're not trying to figure out how to hoist a chandelier up the side of a building. You're not trying to get on elevator schedules. You're not trying to sweet talk the doorman into letting you in early. You're not dealing with, you know, working hours that a condo board has established that don't make any sense to anything. You know, I mean, it's just a lot easier, frankly, to work outside of a city. And those designers listening who are working in cities, I get you, I hear you, and God bless, because it really does add another layer of annoyance and logistics and angst to any project. But the good news is I apply a lot of those skills that I learned in particular around access points. I apply them all the time to standalone homes now much to the awe and an amazement to some of my contractors, by the way. So again, you're always building your experience, regardless if you know it at the time or not. So then fast forward, I grew my business. I became very secure in my abilities, but I, again, didn't really talk about my work. So I wasn't allowed to talk about it in New York, right? It was a point of you would be fired. Well, I own my own business, so nobody to fire me, right? Well, here's the problem. I moved back to my hometown, which is a small town. A lot of people live here that have lived here for generations. And let's just say, much everybody knows everybody. That whole Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation eh, really shrinks to about 1% where I am. And so I didn't talk about people, again, because of the privacy that everybody wants to maintain. You know, nobody wants anyone to know their business, in particular, when it comes to financing and investments and projects, right? So there again, I had this problem where people didn't know what I could do because I didn't feel that I could talk about it. I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to talk about it. But all that did was hurt me. There were people who would come up to me and say, oh my God, Renee, I saw so-and-so's house. I had no idea you could help with the construction. If that's the case, can you help me with mine? For a large part of the beginning of my business, there were no websites. There was no, you know, documentation. There were I literally had color photos in my portfolio that I would lug around from job to job. And it was very hard to convey the construction component to my business using those forms of communication. It just didn't convey all of my skills. And me not being able to talk about what I did for a living hampered it further. And so there were times where I'm like, well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And then I would take on a project. I would knock it out of the park and I'd say, who am I kidding? Of course I'm good at what I'm doing. I just need to figure out how to convey it. So fast forward to the pandemic. 
I can promise you, I was very confident. I have a full-blown website. If you haven't seen it already, it shows construction. It really discusses it. It talks about all the services that I provide. And then I thought, I'm going to start podcasting because I feel like there's a void in the industry talking about renovation management. And then, hello, imposter syndrome. I'd say two or three podcasts in. It was probably when I first officially launched. And I thought, who the hell am I to be putting myself out there as, look what I know, right? That's how I looked at it, not how can I help others? Trust me, that was the underlying goal, but the same reel was running in my head. Why me? Who am I to think that I should be sharing this information? And don't most people know this? And no, no, people are going to laugh. They're going to think this is weird. They're going to think this is funny. And the imposter syndrome rose right to the surface again. And I can promise you this, it's constantly just under the surface when it comes to this podcast. Because again, I know so many designers out there who have the experience I have, who are doing what I am doing, who are what I would consider seasoned. And I think, why me? Why not them? Why aren't they doing it? But I push it down when I get emails or phone calls with designers looking for answers. And there are seasoned designers who reach out to me saying, I just want another seasoned designer's point of view on this, right? So that has become my why. And that has moved the podcast forward. I look forward to doing these podcasts every week. And I <laughs> never thought that would happen. I honestly never thought I'd still be podcasting two years later. I was sure this was going to be a six month during COVID, during that quiet period, shutdown period. Think, okay, I'll just fill this void. This has been really interesting. And then it will get shelved, right? Because honestly, the data shows that most podcasts don't continue on after a certain period. So again, my imposter syndrome is challenged by this podcast and I am constantly beating it back going, it's okay. You don't know everything and that's actually okay, but you know a lot and what you know can help other designers and that's the goal. Don't listen to the other voices, Renee. Just you know enough that you can help other designers. You can't help them all. That's not the goal, but you can help a lot with the knowledge that you know, okay? Now that voice doesn't always get heard, unfortunately, but it gets heard more often than the imposter syndrome does. So what happened with the podcast? It sprung into a course, Renovation Management for Interior Designers, and that became the hardest battle of my career. It all started when I was in Toby Farrelly's Design You program. During COVID, I thought, I have the time. I can show up for these webinars. This is great. I had seen Toby, met her briefly at High Point, loved her energy and her enthusiasm. And I thought, I'm going to lean in on this. I'm going to see what else is out there. I have done this job for, at the time, 26 years, I guess, 27 years. And I thought, maybe there's something else I can do with my knowledge. And that's where the course was born. Through her group, I was exposed to all sorts of craziness online. I mean, you should see my notes from the first couple of webinars. They were using terms I'd never heard of before. And I would put a little asterisk and say, look up later, because I didn't want to like break the moment. 
and ask in the moment. And also, I didn't want to look like an idiot going, I'm sorry, what is an OBM? Which, by the way, is an online business manager. And I have one who is the bomb. But these are the kinds of things that I was exposed to. And I can guarantee you, I felt like an imposter. Toby went through an exercise. Tell me your niche. Tell me what your expertise is. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. I'm an interior designer. No, tell me your niche. Okay, I'm an interior designer. My niche is high-end residential. No, go further. Okay, um, I'm an interior designer. My niche is high-end residential, and I like construction management. Okay, go further. And I'm thinking, there is no further. This is what I do day in, day out. This is what I do. And then she said, what do you like about your job? And I was like, oh, I love, you know, I love, you know, putting value onto a project. I love, you know, expanding someone's ability to live in their home. I love all the things that designers love to do. And I thought that doesn't make me special. Not in the least. I mean, we're all in the same boat together feeling that way, or we probably would have left the industry a while ago. And then she said, what do you hate about your industry? And there, a lightning bolt hit me. I'm not kidding. I can remember where I was and what I was scribbling. And I said, I hate that designers have to learn renovation management on their own. And she said, well, there's your niche. And I was like, what? I mean, seriously, I was like, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. And she's like, that's it. You love doing renovation management and you hate that there's not a lot of information out for designers and that they have to learn it on their own and that you learned it working for other women and most designers have to learn it on their own as the owner of the companies. And I thought, whatever. Okay, I'm scribbling down notes. Okay, this is what I hate, blah, blah, blah. And then every day afterwards, I would be doing any task and I'd think, ooh, 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 I'd share this. Or I'd be on a job site. I'd be like, oh, I'd love to share this. And oh my God, I could break this down. This is, this is a step I know. And gosh, I forget that I had to learn this step from fill in the blank, Barbara or Charlotte along the way. And that is how the course was born. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because I enjoyed those moments and felt confident knowing the steps that I would want to share does not mean I wasn't inundated with other thoughts of, seriously, Renee? Who do you think you are? I mean, seriously, lots of designers do this. Any of them could also do this. And still I push through, mainly because of my team, because of their support, because of them going, oh my God, this is really cool. I had no idea you did any of this, Renee. Because remember, my team doesn't do interior design, right? They either are editing this podcast or they're my online business manager or they're my graphic designer. They're not in the industry that I am in. And frankly, that helped a lot because there'd be times that where they would read something, they go, I got nothing. I don't know what on earth you're talking about. And I'd say, really? You've never heard this term? And they're like, no, no, I don't know what that is. And I would break it down further because I didn't want to assume that every designer looking at this content understood what I understood. Because Just so you know, the more you do something, it becomes muscle memory. And it was really fascinating for me to break down what I considered, quote, normal things. And I would look at it and say, but what steps did I take that I didn't even think about to get to this end product? And that's what I explored for the course. And even today, even as I'm talking to you right now, there will be moments where I think, who do I think I am doing 
fill in the blank, whether it is taking on a really big project, whether it is exploring something on a podcast, whether it is building out something for a course, whether it is my Friday emails that I send to designers, I can promise you the little devil on my shoulder will say, who do you think you are? The good news is I'm seasoned enough in my business where I shove that devil off and I listen to the angel on my other shoulder who says, you know enough to help someone. You may not help everyone with your information, but you know enough to help someone. And frankly, you know enough to help a lot of designers. And that's what drives me forward. So why am I sharing all of my insecurities, all of my imposter syndromes? Well, the reason is because I am seasoned, I want to let you know that I went through all of that and still have issues with it today. Now, the good news is it doesn't usually crop up in my day-to-day work, although I will say there was a bathtub I mentioned previously that really did actually give me some sleepless nights, which, by the way, got installed yesterday. It looks badass awesome. But yeah, I definitely got a few more gray hairs over that one. I never felt the imposter syndrome. I never felt the, oh my God, I have no business doing it. But I felt the, oh crap, did I not think something through, right? But I moved through it. It didn't overtake my work and it ended successfully. And that's what I remind myself when I'm in those moments. So with the designers I've been talking to, whether it's through email or whether it's been through the podcast calls or whether it's in the community inside the course or whether it is the consultation calls that I offer, they will call with a list of things they want to discuss. And it it covers everything. Trust me, it covers, you know, from pricing to contracts to an issue on a job to marketing. I mean, really, nothing's ever off limits and it usually covers the gamut. And and I love that about these calls because frankly, I never know where it's going. I also usually walk away learning something as well, which is amazing. But the overarching theme to all of it is imposter syndrome, right? I don't feel comfortable, uh, I don't know, taking on a bigger project. Well, why not? Well, I don't know if I have the skills. Well, that's imposter syndrome, right? That's confidence. And confidence comes with time and experience and knowledge. And those are all things you can't get in that moment. And I understand that. But you can lean on what you have developed to that point. And how can you take that experience and apply it to whatever that bigger project is? So if you're offered an entire house ground up construction and you've only done kitchens and baths, this actually came up in a conversation. The woman was freaking out. I'm like, why are you freaking out? And she's like, oh my God, Renee, I've never done such a big project. I've only done these other, da, 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 da. and you could just, just this spiraling panic of who do I think I am to take on this project? And I said, okay, let's break it down. Kitchens and baths, by the way, are the most complicated in a house, right? I mean, think about all of the components that go into a kitchen, for instance, okay? How many components go into a living room? All right, electric, floors, paint, cabinetry, maybe, you know, all of that, windows, window treatments. Okay, far less trades, far less specifications. It's actually easier to do a livable space than it is to do a kitchen and a bath. And the minute we kind of broke it all down into bite sized pieces, I said, you just have to stack them. Okay, so you have a living room, now you have a dining room. 
same thing. You have a couple bedrooms, same thing. Those spaces are actually technically easier on a construction standpoint than kitchens and baths. And so, okay, you've only done one kitchen and one bath at the same time. All right, fine. Most homes have one kitchen. Now you might be lucky and have a kitchenette somewhere else. Okay, so you've done one bathroom. All right, how many bathrooms did this project have? Okay, it turned out it was four and a half. Okay, can you do this four times over and a half? So that was the imposter syndrome talking to her. She had the experience that she needed. She just had never been given this opportunity. It felt foreign and exciting and thrilling and terrifying all at the same time. And that's the kind of experience I want you all to fight through. I wish I could tell you you can avoid it. I personally have not, as you just heard, avoided imposter syndrome throughout my career. But I have learned how to manage it, how to break things down into bite-sized pieces. You may not in that moment of something being offered to you or something going wrong on a project and you're freaking out internally, just take a deep breath and know that later when you're back in your office or in your car, you can break it down into what do I know, how can I apply it to this situation, and what is left over for me to research or reach out to someone for more information. That's how you're going to manage the imposter syndrome that will keep coming up. Just like I say, all projects will have surprises. I hate to say this, but you will feel the imposter syndrome as your career progresses. And frankly, that's the goal, right? We want your careers to progress. So if you're doing small projects, we want you to be doing medium projects and then large projects and then really large projects. So those imposter syndrome opportunities, they're there. But that's okay. And don't let it throw you off. And definitely don't let it manipulate your decisions. Meaning if you don't think you have the ability to do a project and you turn it down, not only have you lost that income, but you've lost the opportunity to grow through the experience that you would be going through. Would it be a walk in the park, easiest job ever? Not likely. That's okay too. Because when you move through the panic, the fear, and the imposter syndrome, you will take the time to learn and grow your skills and experience, which you can then put to the next job. And that's how your jobs will grow. So I don't typically, you know, have a big New Year's resolution. I mean, I've done it in the past. I've broken it by uh, January 15th, if I'm lucky. And I just sort of don't buy into that, right? And I'm not the kind of person who's like, well, I won't start working out until Saturday, right? Like, okay, because Saturday will come and go and I won't do that either. But what I did do this year, and I promise I've never done this before, but so far, and granted, it's only mid-February, but so far, it's really been working. I told myself at the beginning of the year that what I was going to focus on was not I'm going to grow my firm or I'm going to you know do more podcasts. I'm, it was that was very granular for me, and I do have those lists. Don't don't get me wrong; they don't have deadlines and things like a New Year's resolution list. But what I told myself is I'm going to be focused on why not me. Okay, I have spent the better part of 30 years thinking why me, and I'm flipping it to why not me? So why not me to do a podcast? Why not me to build a course that's going to support designers to grow their company? Why not me to take on bigger projects? 
Why not me to market to firms outside of my area to take on those even bigger projects? Why not me to mentor and support all the designers that are seeking that help? And I got to tell you, it has changed a lot. I have already done things in my career that I wouldn't have probably done even last year. And I am confident in my skills. I have put myself out to new opportunities that I don't want to jinx on this podcast. But if they come through, you'll be the first to hear. But the most exciting part is not necessarily if they work out, but the fact that I put myself out for that opportunity is new to me. Because why not me? And so I want all of you to think, why not you? In whatever it is you're doing, why not you for that new project? Why not you for that marketing call? Why not you to grow your skills and offer this service to your client base? I really don't have an answer for why not you. It's the best question to be asking yourself. Because sure, you could say, well, because, just stop yourself right there. Why not? This is the way you are going to manage the imposter syndrome when it does come up. And it so far has worked for me this year. And that's what I want for each of you. The imposter syndrome is the enemy. It's not the bigger projects. It's not the industry partners who aren't seeing you as an equal. It's not the clients who aren't hiring you for those services. It's not any of that. It's the imposter syndrome. And it's something that you can manage. I have managed so that it doesn't become a roadblock just a speed bump. So if you only walk away from this episode with one thing, I want it to be, why not you? And say it to yourself. Hell, I said it to myself doing the dishes last night. I've got to admit, I was like, why not me? When I was thinking about something that I wanted to explore, it truly does change the mindset going into whatever it is. And it may be as simple as something you want to achieve in your home life or as a mother or as a wife or in your personal life. But I also want you to apply it to your professional life because it is something that will sustain you when you are starting to doubt yourself. Because really, it's not you. It's your imposter syndrome that's doubting you. So as I mentioned, I built a robust course that walks designers through the process of managing projects. It takes everything into account from marketing for the project to hiring the team to managing the project throughout and finishing strong so that you have a referral base, not only with the client, but with the trade you worked on on the project. And inside the course, there is a community because as you can tell, I love to share. And that is something that's, and that is a safe space for designers to reach out to other members as well as me and get advice in the moment. So this spring, we're also gonna be adding something really exciting to the course members. And I wish I could share it right now, but just know I will in the coming weeks. So in the meantime, please spend some time saying, why not me? And see how that changes your mindset and see how that silences your imposter syndrome and allows you to move forward with whatever project you're working on. So I can't thank you enough for your time. I really think this is an important topic for all of us to share. You can always reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns or to tell me about your own imposter syndrome. 
I'm always happy to talk to designers. And as always, I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening today and feel free to join me on social media at Davine Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review and tell your friends who are starting or are mid project. And thank you again for listening today.